Hey everyone, you're listening to The Talent Revolution, where we believe that focusing on quality over volume and being different, not better, is the right way to hire the best humans and build stronger teams. To help you do this, I go behind the scenes with forward-thinking recruiters, employer brand experts, and people leaders that are making a huge difference to their organizations. I'm your host, Tom Hackwell, and on today's episode, I'll be speaking with Danielle Colonto, Director of Global Talent Acquisition at Yopo. Danielle spent her career scaling diverse, high-performance teams around the world. Having grown up in the fashion and retail space, she's developed talent strategies to support new brand and market launches. While living abroad in Australia, Danielle pivoted into the startup space where she learned about tech stacks and how to read the weather in Celsius. Most recently, she's combined her love of shopping and technology in her role leading global talent acquisition at Yopo, an e-commerce marketing platform that just hit unicorn status and plans to hire over 300 people in 2021. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great intro. Uh, thanks very much. Sounds like you're in an exciting time, right? 300 people in 2021 and a recent unicorn. It's going to be a busy year, but a lot of energy over here. So we've got this. Yeah, I think half of me is jealous and half of me is like massively relieved that I'm not <laughs> you right now, frankly. <laughs> I can I think- understand that. Yeah, I think, look, there's so much ground to cover today and super excited to talk through some of the stuff we've got on the agenda. I think before we do that, though, I'd love to kind of introduce you a bit more, right? Like we we understand what you do right now and we'll get to Yopo in a minute, but sort of take me through your, well, take me through Danielle to date, right? Like how did you get into the space? What have you been doing so far? Sure. Yeah, so it's actually, you know, a story like many others where I graduated from uni out in California. I went to school out at USC and graduated with a degree in political science because, you know, I thought I was going to go to law school. Who doesn't? I was ambitious and didn't Mm -hmm. realize everything that came around with that, like an additional many years of schooling. Um, mm-hmm. And then reality hit and on accident happened into the fashion and retail sector. Kind of a friend of a friend knew someone and I landed there and I just love the business of it. You know, I'm a consumer, so it really made sense to understand the behind the scenes of it. And I really loved the energy and you know, pretty things as a consumer. It was fun. It was really, really fun. And I had the opportunity to work for brands like Gap, which is Gap Inc., where I started my Mm -hmm. career and really built the fundamentals of business acumen and pace and velocity and scale. And really that set the tone for me knowing that I was going to build my career there. And so I then moved to American Eagle, which was you know, fun and denim and we wore flip-flops to work. And it was just a (laughs) really fun environment. And there I was fortunate to surround myself by amazing people. Um, I had an incredible mentor, Carmen, who really kind of handed me the keys to the castle. I was doing a lot of things very early on in my professional career, and I helped scale the Airy brand, which Airy by American Eagle is you know now a rival of Victoria's Secret. It wasn't then. We were opening mm-hmm. new stores. We were trying to get people to understand what the heck Airy was. It was a really fun time. And I continued to want to diversify my career in fashion retail. So I moved into more into the luxury and wholesale space. So I worked with Armani and Tori Birch, did a few years spending time selling bras and panties with Victoria's Secret, this mammoth organization. Mm-hmm. And so I really diversified my experience within the fashion retail segment. And I loved it. And I still eat and breathe it as a consumer. You know, I really understood the business Mm -hmm. um, from the other side, which was important to me. Banking, not so much. Don't ever see myself there. Yeah, Um, yeah, get that. 
Fashion retail is fantastic. And then through a stint, which you mentioned earlier, I life happens. I met someone who is from the other side of the planet, which is what brought me down to Australia. And they have an incredible ecosystem, startup ecosystem down in Sydney. And I was very fortunate to be immersed amongst amazing founders and software engineers and all these things that I had no exposure to previously, B2B SaaS. Like I didn't even really know what that meant. And that's where I launched my startup career in tech, which was fun and hectic. And I was working with a really small company called Propeller Aero that we were doing everything. All of us were doing everything. So we just figured it out. And through that, once I decided I wanted to move back to New York, you know, Australia is quite far from New York and my family's mm -hmm. all here on the East Coast. Uh, we made the decision to come back. And at that point, I really wanted to marry the love of fashion and retail with technology. And so I came back to work for a brand that's actually currently a partner of Yapo. And they were in the loyalty and reward space for e-commerce. Unfortunately, they took some hits during the, the pandemic. I was laid off and through networking, as is the best way to hire people and connect with mm -hmm. the roles, I found Yapo, which is where I am now. And again, that amazing balance of fashion and retail. I understand our value prop. I know what we're doing and I get it and it, I can connect with it. We work with some really, really cool brands and I've been tasked myself and my team to build a lot of new roles out here as we continue to scale and grow. It's been a pretty epic few months for Yapo. Oh, that's amazing. It sounds like, I look, there's so much to pick there and kind of really dig into it. I think we'll do that as we go through some of the kind of broader discussion topics, right? Because you have kind of a rare perspective, like a massive commendation, by the way, for not just changing like sector or role, but also location and industry and organizational size kind of all in one fell swoop. So massive props there. Um, I'm interested in learning more about how that transition went in a minute. Yeah. But I think before we dig too, too deep into that, like, let's just finish the story with Yopo, right? So give everybody a bit of context as to what Yopo is, what stage the organization is at, and sort of the role you've come into play there. Sure. So we're at an incredibly exciting stage. You know, I kind of laughed at you earlier. You talked about being busy. There's a ton of energy here, and I'm feeling there's a lot on, um, but there's energy. So we've just announced a Series F round of funding for $230 million. Probably hard not to see that. We were blasting it all over social. We were really proud of that You did that, that very well, yeah. Yep, that's um, should be. And so we've hit unicorn status, which in the tech world is such a buzzy world. Our co-founder and CEO, Tomer, likes to say we've hit flamingo status um, mm -hmm. because flamingo is being bold and unique. And unicorn, kind of that terminology is a little played out. Um, yep. And so we talk a lot about building our flock, flamingos operate in flux. They're super mm -hmm. collaborative. Like they that. rely on each other. Yeah, I do too. I think some of those startup buzzy words make sense, but unicorn, eh, let's move on. Sure. So our flock is growing. So what we do, we are an e-commerce marketing platform and we support reviews and ratings, loyalty and referral, SMS marketing tools, and visual user-generated content for our clients who are all e-commerce across various spaces. You've definitely used us in some capacity. If you've ever shopped online, you just might not know that it was powered by Yapo. Mm -hmm. um, Patagonia, Steve Madden, Rebecca Minkoff, dot, 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 many more. And post Series F funding and just having an amazing Q1, we're on fire. We have a huge road ahead of us. So we're going from about 520 employees now. We're adding on another 300 roles over the remainder of 2021. So anyone that's looking for pace and velocity and impact and excitement, 
that's what we're up against here. It's going to be great. And so in my role, I lead global talent acquisition across each of our locations, which is here in New York. That's our go-to-market function. Over in the UK, we have quite a few go-to-market roles as well. Small office in London. Uh, we have two locations in Israel, and that's where our, our other co-founder sits, and our R&D function is in Tel Aviv. And we also have a small R&D site in Yaknam, which is a bit north. We also have a site in Bulgaria, Sofia, Bulgaria. So there's a team member recruiting over there. And we have hired the first of its kind Yapo team member in Australia, and we'll be scaling down there about 20 roles over the next year to really dig into the business across APAC. So lots of things going on around the world. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome and crazy at the same time, right? And I think the global part of your title gives me kind of room for pause when you mention all of those different locations and time zones and stuff, right? You've got not just the challenge of scale, but that international scale and all of the differences across those markets. And again, keen to explore that in a bit more detail as we go through today. And again, yeah, Yopo sounds like an amazing place to be right now. And we'll make sure people know where to find out more when we wrap up. I think when we were talking before, and like the reason we were really excited to get you involved with the podcast, Danielle, is because you kind of talk really openly about two key, like important driving themes of recruitment in today's landscape, right? Like we talk about this notion of kind of recruitment being like selling, not buying. And we talk about the importance of like what we call radical transparency through the recruitment process. And I want to kind of pick apart both of those concepts today, right? And so to dig right into that, what do you mean when you say recruitment is selling, not buying? What does that actually mean in practice? In practice, it means that the candidates are customers where previous state, I think we went and shopped around and thought we had the pick of the litter of anyone wanting to work with you. And these days, that's just not the case. So you really have to work at making sure that candidates understand who you are, what you're doing. There's a lot of time and energy, a lot of handholding that goes into recruitment more so than I've ever seen, specifically Mm -hmm. in a smaller tech startup. And I know we'll dig into this, but when you don't have the brand recognition and the flashy lights of the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, you've got to work for You've got to work really hard to make candidates understand why you're an exciting place to work, why they'd want to, you know, make a life change and work for you. Has this all, like, I know you talk about this kind of being a bit of a shift, right? And it's, you're working harder now than you've ever been. Has this, like, this hasn't always been the case, frankly, has it, right? Like, no. when has this shift started? And is it different industry to industry and sector to sector and company to company? I would say absolutely. The individualization between segments and industries and even location. However, I think I personally have seen over the, you know, within my experience and within my network, we've been talking about the last three years in particular, it's really started to shift quite a bit. Of course, taking pandemic out of it, but um, for a minute, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's become really important that, of course, compensation is important to people, right? Who can argue that? But the other total rewards of working somewhere have become more important to people over the last few years. So money doesn't talk as much. Again, it still does. Mm-hmm. Um, but that shift in organizations, you know, offering free lunches and not just tech startups anymore, but everyone needing to have these comfortable, enjoyable environments. And it was really not the case five years ago, and specifically to tech startups, it was a bit of a shock when I entered the ecosystem and thought, you know, I was coming from large brand names that people wanted to work for. I mean, we had no shortage of CVs, right? So for us, Mm -hmm. it was quantity and quality when I was working at Armani. Who doesn't want to, in the fashion industry, work at Armani? Mm -hmm. Um, The answer is no one. I think I saw every CV. Uh, So it was really easy. So I had 
no sell. It was really a matter of fending off candidates and understanding what we wanted versus that perspective has totally shifted. And candidates entertain multiple offers and the especially post-pandemic as things are picking back up again around the world, we're seeing this. It's moving really quickly as well. And that's where the transparency piece comes in to really show them who you are. You know, office spaces, well, no one goes into the office really anymore. It will continue Mm -hmm. to shift, but no one cares about the ping pong tables anymore. It's who they're working with and the impact they'll have, the scope of their work. That stuff matters. And I think to that point, right, there's a whole bunch of questions coming to mind off of the back of a bunch of statements you've made there. So first and foremost, like, you talk about the ping pong table not being important right now and you talk about you know people not being in the office and it's the people you work with and the things you're doing and the mission and stuff. Do you think that shift has made it easier for lesser known brands to compete with the big picture names that everybody historically gravitated towards? Like, Is it easier now for Yotpo to compete with Google for talent versus five years ago? So that's a really good question. I My gut reaction to that is it's still an uphill battle to compete with the Googles of the world. There's still, sure. so because, and why I say that is why people don't care as much about that anymore. It's not going to be the sell factor. It's now the threshold so that yeah. Google, had a ping, Google had the ping pong table. Now we have to have a ping pong table and mm-hmm. we don't actually have a ping pong table. I hate to tell everyone. We don't either. Don't worry. <laughs> But we have, you know, the gorgeous kitchen that's fully stocked and keeping people energized in this beautiful collaborative space. And But that is just an absolute non-negotiable anymore. Mm-hmm. So the stakes are just that much higher. And unfortunately, too, in an environment like this where people go out looking, they're looking at where do they go first, the places they know, and where people aren't spending as much time together socializing, that ability to network and say to your friends, oh, I heard about this cool place Yapo and Stephanie works there. That's not happening as much. So the reliance factor on brand name, I think, has actually, if anything, maybe become more significant. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about it in that capacity until you were asking. No, no. And I'm putting you on the spot for a reason, right? Like it's it's interesting. It's, interest, it's interesting yeah. to get gut reactions to these things because I sure. think perspectives are so different, right? I think like one of the other things you just said when you were going through your your kind of overview of what that actually means in practice, right? What it means to be selling, not buying is Everybody wants to work for Armani. So Armani's job is actually fending CVs and fending people away. They're not fighting for talent the same way you might be now. Do you think they see themselves as selling, not buying? Or do you think they're still firmly in that buying camp? And, and when will that change? It's funny that you asked me because I was just thinking, you know, the Armani team would probably be not happy that I said that because we worked for talent. We did work for talent. It's just a very different way. You know, I thought mm-hmm. we worked really hard and we were always in competition and hindsighting, you know, perspective, right? Perspective is a really important thing in life. And now for that sure. I've... And it has shifted too. So yeah, you know, I have friends, my friends that work at Armani now run HR at Gucci and Gucci is an amazing luxury brand and they've been performing incredibly well. So lots of people want to work for them. And even still, they're constantly paying me, who do you know? I still have quite a few connections in the market. And unfortunately, retail was hit very hard, uh, specifically traditional retail over the last few years. And so I'm constantly getting the pings within my networks from Gucci, from Armani saying, who do you know? So it's certainly shifted a bit more and there's more competition. You know, when I was working at Armani X amount of years ago, I didn't even want to do the math just then. There's a different dynamic within retail. You know, there weren't as many kind of 
cool up and coming brands that were had a platform like Instagram, money and marketing and PR mattered. And now that's shifted. So social media has, I think, shifted how people look at brand recognition when it comes to applying for, in this example, like the Armani's and the Gucci's of the world. There's other places that now people are vying to, to work with and for that have a different interest level for people. So it just all continues to evolve year by year, day by day. Literally day by day, right? And yeah, couldn't agree more. I think one of the things, as I say, that you have, which is fairly unique almost, is like this, you've sat on both sides of the table type equation, right? Like you've seen both perspectives front and center. And although things have changed over a period of time, like you still have context and understanding of both sides. Like, like are there clear lessons that you can take from one and apply to the other or vice versa in terms of the differences between how super well-known brands in, say, the fashion sector are recruiting versus what you're doing today in technology? Hugely. I mean, you know, it's interesting because you talked about my transition. When I went, moved across the world site on scene, I mean, I went in. I went into a different industry, different size. And there was a lot of apprehension at the time. You know, I actually had, it was quite challenging, even though I had an amazing startup community that we knew through my partner's work, my husband's work. There was a lot of apprehension between, well, you're coming from fashion retail, so why does that matter? And what should we... You know, the things that I think stay relevant, whether you are as an HR and recruitment professional, and I took those lessons with me and was able to fortunately successfully translate them because I talked to talk and ended up being able to walk the walk, you know, is being, I think one of the things from coming from a fashion and retail background is one, the hustle. The hustle is real. You know, that's something that you one need to exemplify in your role. Like we were working, I had partners that were in stores, you know, Victoria's Secret, I was responsible for helping to scale talent at the location at Herald Square here in New York City, which was 600 employees in one building. So we had to hustle. So you, we walk fast, you talk fast in retail. And I think that's very, very applicable to not only being successful in tech, but also how you talk to candidates about it. I mean, there's a hustle. The hustle is real. So when we go back to that transparency about being like open and honest, as well as like that client facing, I do think even though as a brand recognition help to from a recruitment perspective, everything you do in retail, specifically in luxury, is through the client lens. What's the right thing for the client? And so that transferable skill set to especially in today's world of selling to the candidate is the candidate is our client, period, Mm -hmm. end of story, and coaching our hiring managers. So there is this clienteling that needs to be done. It's the same thing as that, you know, selling, right? Because I sold in retail. That's what we did. That was our business. So I think a lot of that, like regardless of brand recognition, it is completely applicable. And I do find myself turning on that switch. There's actually someone else on, uh, two other people on my team now in talent acquisition at Yapo that come from a retail background. And we definitely turn on the retailer switch quite often. Sounds like it's been bloody useful, frankly. Yeah. And there's just so many takeaways that are super easy to apply, right? And that, that makes so much sense to me. I think one of the things that you've talked to a lot, and you know, we've just spent a few minutes here talking about the difference between industry and industry and sector to sector, right? How have you identified differences in terms of like candidate expectations, location to location, right? So right now you've got a team operating in lots of different territories and I'm sneaky and went and looked at your job descriptions earlier and there's quite a big difference between the way you're positioning Yotpo and the way you're talking about the role and the engagement in general when you look at the roles you've got in Sofia versus the roles you've got in London versus the roles out there in New York, right? And so 
I think that's amazing and it sounds like it makes so much sense, but what's the motive behind that? Well, actually, funny enough, some of the work we're doing is to create more cohesion there. Example being you use the way we talk about Yapo and actually write it in our job descriptions. Our marketing team is amazing and they're currently redoing our job descriptions to create more cohesion and bring us up to date. So at Mm -hmm. least that part is where even though we all speak literally speak different languages, we speak the same Yapo language. So some of that is just as we scale and get job descriptions posted really quickly, we're not using the same. But the reality is, and this is where I rely really heavily on my team, and I'm so fortunate that I'm surrounded by incredible people who love to learn as well, that I didn't know Bulgaria previously. I've worked in a lot of countries before. I've always had a global scope to my role, which has been super challenging and fun and but the complexities of Bulgaria and how we connect with kids and what the process should look like and what's appropriate in terms of touch point and candidate experience versus the UK. UK, US, Australia, quite aligned culturally. Mm-hmm. So those things are going to look a lot more different. But Israel and Bulgaria, we're trying to build as a team. This is the first time in many years since Yapo's fruition, my role is the first time that we've had a global talent acquisition team. And there's just so many learnings that come out all the time, you know, from a process fundamental, the way that we speak to Yapo, cohesion is the name of the game, right? So that we have the same data and insights from a by the numbers perspective. Mm-hmm. But the innuendos of, I thought this was so interesting and the team laughs at me. In Israel, it would be completely appropriate to get a CV in, you pick up your phone, you WhatsApp someone, you get them on the line. And I just found myself at first thinking, well, that's just shocking. <laughs> you mean you don't schedule the call? And of course, we yeah. use reschedule calls too, but it's just way more appropriate where can you imagine if that was happening in the US? I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody's going to answer your phone number. A number comes up. I know it's the same in the UK because we've talked about it. So there's just these little niches and that's where you have to be flexible. There is certainly no one size fits all when it comes to candidates, roles, et cetera. So we're allowing ourselves as an organization as we scale to, again, cohesion being the name of the game, that one Yapo language and brand is really important to us because it is, you know, we want to be talking the same way and have the same kind of competencies and things that we speak about to qualify what success looks like here. But we have to be, I mean, it would be silly for us to think that it's a one size fits all. And again, we have a team that is amazing at coaching each other through all of these things. You know, we have really open dialogues about what's why the differences can happen. And we're not afraid to push back with each other. Sounds great for the US and that sounds like it's working there. Here are the challenges we see with implementing that in Israel. Um, So we have Mm -hmm. a very all in we win mentality and we listen and yeah, it's certainly not the same. That's for sure. That's the fascinating piece for me, right? And that's why I love having conversations like this with you and with others. And through my kind of job at Pinpoint, we have clients all over the world. And I think the biggest thing we've learned is that there is no right answer, right? Like best practice doesn't really exist when you work with organizations in every sector, in every country. Everything is different, right? And as you say, there may be common markets, the UK, US as a prime one, but like people have to be understanding of the fact that a truck driver in the US is going to have a very different candidate experience expectation from an R&D engineer in Tel Aviv, right? Like they're completely different things. And I think too often people look to the wrong places for advice and they'll look at what company A is doing and try and apply that in their territory. And it, it just fundamentally falls flat. And it's really important when we meet people who are doing so well internationally with such a variety of roles to kind of pick up those lessons. We've talked a bit about selling, not buying, right? And you kind of talked about like what that means. 
being a devil's advocate, why is that important, right? Like, what, what are the ramifications of getting this right and wrong? If I'm an organization stuck in my ways and I still think of recruitment as a buy-side exercise and I'm happy for candidates to work for me and take my pick, where does that leave me in the market today? I was just about to use a phrase that was probably not podcast appropriate. I was going to say something out of luck. But the reality is it's just you're going to be left behind. And listen, so the detriment of it is one, candidates. Well, and the other thing is it depends on the organization. If you're okay with that and you're just okay with the CVs that come across are what who you want to hire and that's just your it is what it is, great. Have at it. I'm sure you'll put butts in seats, right? Our yeah. perspective as Yapo and companies I've been fortunate enough to work with in the past, and the reason I've worked with them is because we give a crap about who we're hiring. We want a talent. We want people that are coming with perspective, entrepreneurship, diversity. When you think about a diverse group of backgrounds and experiences and the way people can impact the business, the proof is in the numbers, the proof is in the stats of that more positively impacts organizations. So top talent is being pulled into the direction of the storytellers, those that are authentic. I use that term all the time. I'm sure I'll use it multiple times in how we approach the transparency side of things. You know, the proof is in the numbers. I don't have the stats in front of me to say X business does this, X business does what I'm talking about and is higher performing. I've mm -hmm. seen it show up in my world. When we take our time, when we hire the right people, when we engage with them so that they've had, you know, selling is having an amazing canned experience, right? When you boil it down, that's what selling is. And the transparency piece comes in because I'm not talking throwing a million dollars at them and telling them that everything is glorious and gold and, you know, forgetting, <laughs> forgetting the ugly stuff. Mm -hmm. It's that mix of selling an amazing candidate experience so that you feel cared for and having people that you meet along the way feel authentic, people want to work for that. So it's a quite simplistic way of approaching that, but it's completely the reality. We hear it from candidate feedback and candidate feedback all the time. So the thing is, right, like the reason I'm encouraging you to do that is because people need to understand how serious the problem is, right? Like if they don't fix this stuff, they are going to be left behind in your words. And I think the thing that's really interesting from my perspective is we tend to see because of the role that we play in the market, some of this stuff happen maybe a little bit earlier than others because we get signals across organizations. And what's super interesting is we feel like, well, so, so two things, right? One, the point you were making before, right? If you as an organization are happy to sit there and wait for people to apply for your roles and take your pick of the litter and so on, power to you. The reality is that like a lot of these organizations are sort of what I would call unconsciously incompetent, right? Like they don't know what they don't know. They don't know that this is bad recruitment. And we speak to a lot of people who come to us and say, oh, our offer acceptance rates 100%, people love us. If your offer acceptance rates 100% in my book, you're not getting quality candidates, right? You're not playing with the big boys and girls if the quality of the people yeah. you're getting means everyone's taking your offer sight unseen because mm -hmm. that's not what good looks like in today's market, right? The great people have choice and if you're not seeing people with choice, you're not seeing good people. I think the other thing though is that, again, slightly driven by COVID, but I think this was happening already. A lot of the people and a lot of the sectors specifically that we see playing the buy side game, I think... Well, they've been doing it because they've got away with it for longer because their sector is perceived as less competitive for talent or candidate expectations are perhaps a little bit lower or insert X or Y reason here. I think what we are seeing happen very quickly and this really accelerated through the latter half of 2020 is organizations realizing now that like the same talent they were competing for before had choice, right? Like remote's a thing. People are investing more in employer brand now, like candidates can work somewhere that isn't within 30 minutes of commuting distance from their home, right? And all of a sudden, people who could 
quote unquote, get away with a poor sort of buy side attitude before aren't able to do so anymore. And I think it's really great as this, like COVID acting is a bit of a change agent to get people to take this stuff more seriously and sort of put their big boy pants on and actually go out into the market properly. You started talking about transparency and I want, I want to get to that. But before we do, I have to ask, right? Like, have you got an example of like a terrible candidate experience from your own past that you've moved through a few organizations surely you've had a negative experience at some point we'd love to hear that yeah actually it's interesting i have an example that immediately pops to mind and when i was interviewing to come back to the states and started reaching out to places that i wanted to have some sort of e-com i was very specific in where i was reaching out i had wise behind it so you know i was one of those the candidates that i love that is Mm -hmm. actually being specific and has a perspective of where they want to be and has a passion for who they're reaching out to and i had an experience with an unnamed e-commerce site that shall remain unnamed and you know in the fashion and retail industry there's it's a small world. So these individuals that I'm going to reference having had some touch points with, I see, don't see anymore, but virtually their names come up in different distro lists and, you know, we're part of the same community. And so regardless of when I think about, and I see this all the time to my teams, and I think it's such a simple thing. It's not about the end result placing a candidate, candidate experience. It's that one, we're humans and everyone should be treated incredibly. And two, you're going to come across these people in life. So to treat them with respect and trust and honesty is real important because when you run into them on the street, you want to feel good about those interactions. And the interaction I'm about to tell you about was not the case. And it was actually very simple. You know, I was applying for a senior head of talent acquisition role. I thought it looked like a really interesting challenge, was really well aligned to my background and had a few initial chat with individuals two individuals that were clearly incredibly junior. So me being a recruiter, I, at the end of conversations, I said, are you open to feedback? And I kind of live coached in the moment. To, sure. you know, and I thought to myself, if the organization is receptive to that, then this is a place I want to be. And they seemed receptive mm-hmm. at the time. And so I got to a stage, which I thought, again, from a can experience was a little too early on. I did this massive project before I had talked to any other senior leaders. So I went from kind of phone screen to Zoom screen with really junior people that didn't know much about the role, but I was trying to get to the the result of talking to someone where I could learn more. And then I was hit with this massive project that essentially was build out our strategy, our hiring strategy for the next year. And here are X, Y, and Z. And so kind of give anecdotes of my personal philosophy. When you're asking for work for someone, you want to be really, and that's something when you talk about selling to a candidate, Mm -hmm. I'm really conscious about assignments these days and kind of what we're asking people to do in practice. Um, I think we should be really tempered about that. I think that's something Mm -hmm. organizations also get wrong. Even more recently, people have far more limit, far less time on their hands outside of work. And we should be really conscious about that and respect Mm -hmm. it. This was not the case. And I spent probably 10 to 15 hours because I wanted it back by the end of the week doing a, but I thought, you know, hindsighting, I'm sure there was room for improvement, but a pretty robust project for their strategy. And I thought, well, they could implement this. So I hope they hire me because this is a little aggressive. Um, And then I never heard back. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. And I'm not a kind of sit around and wait type of woman. So, you know, I pinged a couple of times and listen, benefit of the doubt, life happens. I don't expect, Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to deal with tons of candidates all the time. So of course I have a higher tolerance for that, but then I didn't hear back for weeks and I had put a very significant amount of time into Mm -hmm. this. And I thought, I just want to know. 
I just want an answer. So at the time I emailed, you know, it's a mid-size e-commerce retailer. So I emailed, you know, the power of LinkedIn. I emailed the co-founders. I just said, listen, I, at this point, am no longer interested in the role, even if you were interested in me, but you need to know this about the experience. And I gave some bullet points because I do really believe in giving feedback. How do you know you did something wrong as an organization? How can you course correct if you haven't been given the feedback? Which is why we implemented a few months ago, um, consistent candidate feedback from around the world, because it's really important. How do you have that lens? And I, again, never heard back. And I just thought, you know, and then fast forward, there were some things a few months later about what it was like to work there that kind of blew up on social media. So I think it was a good thing I didn't end up there, but there was just such a lack of respect for me as a candidate. And I found myself thinking, I never want to do that to anyone. Sure, I might be a few days behind. Life happens. It does, yeah. But ghosting people is... But yeah, I mean, there's degrees of acceptability, right? And we could argue that ghosting anybody is unacceptable. But so, ghosting someone you've done two interviews and asked for 15 hours of take-home work for is just ludicrous. Yeah, yeah it's then, a real problem. And fast forward, you know, when you think about reputation and just, I would say, like, reputation integrity, like I mentioned to say to my teams all the time, you know, you run into these people on the street, feel good about that, you know? Even if you've declined them and you gave them the worst news they've ever heard, if they had an amazing can experience, you can grab a coffee with them and laugh like it's nothing. Um, and a few months later, a friend of mine who's a senior marketing executive reached out about a role that this same company had. And I said, don't even yeah, attempt exactly. it. But don't even is, attempt it. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the ramification of these actions though, right? Yeah, and like, it's massive. It's still with you now. Like no doubt that was a little while ago and you've moved on to bigger and better things. And it sounds like you dodged a massive bullet anyway, frankly. But the point is you're telling people about that and you're a person of influence in the space. And like, trust everybody when the conversation finishes and the record buttons hit again, I'm going to be asking who this company is so that I know myself, right? And like, this is what the world looks it's like now. Yeah. 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 And you, you talk about authenticity all the time and you talk about portraying that employer brand and talking about the pros and the cons and not looking at everything through these super rose tinted glasses. And I think candidates are more aware of that than ever, right? And they're yeah. hunting for those authentic voices. Yeah, yeah. And I think the vulnerability factor, right? And, you know, there's been many times I haven't provided the perfect candidate experience that I would have liked. And the quickest one, and I, this is my expectation for the team that you can course correct that by reaching out and just being vulnerable and be like, I cannot believe it took me a week. I apologize for this. You know, there are things going on, but now I'm course correcting, right? There's opportunities to do that and be vulnerable and be human. And people respect that. I think we very much underestimate the power of human connectivity in those situations that there's very easy ways to write right wrongs if you will yeah no for sure and i think like to be clear i don't want to be a hypocrite either like i'm busy too and i leave recruitment at our business i often make mistakes i often take much longer than i'd like to to get back to people because stuff happens right we're a small business right. and everybody wears many hats but yeah. it's about intent as much as anything else right and i think like you know i had an example a couple of weeks ago where someone had applied for a sales role great candidate and i'd, I'd completely dropped the ball on some comms with them and by the time i got back to them you know it's a fast moving sector they'd taken yeah. another well they'd certainly taken a few other later stage interviews and i reached out and apologized and the person said oh thanks so much and then i said oh well, can i help you prep for something or can i give you some feedback on some stuff because i understand i don't want their opinion of us to be a negative one from the rightfully terrible experience I'd given them. And it's sure. about writing that wrong. But as you say, it's not difficult to do that, right? And I think yeah. people take that at face value and they see when you're 
owning up to your shortcomings but to just outright ghost and ignore people it just can't be allowed to happen in today's market yeah. right yeah and that's why i think the human so, nature of recruitment is really underestimated as well you know the human and human resources and those are things that can't be automated with ai and just those like genuine connection points that's on us to own as humans but it's on us to remind people about as well right and like yeah. that's why we use this word humans in our podcast and we use this word people all the time it's because like, again, we build an ATS, right? To so a lot of people, they look at an ATS and they look at their 1,000 candidates or their 10,000-person strong talent pipeline, and it's easy to forget that each one of those rows is a real person. And you talk, you know, you use the word vulnerable, which I love, right? But, like, applying for a job is a vulnerable time for people, right? People are putting themselves out there to be judged, and, like, this is a big life event. Like, it's so easy to forget what that thing behind that row in that spreadsheet or that ATS is, and I think yeah. it's important we remember that. But look, we've talked a lot about this whole kind of selling, not buying thing. And I think you couldn't be more right. But let's move on a little bit and talk about recruitment transparency and what that really means, right? So what is recruitment transparency from your perspective? Being very honest about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when I talk about that, I mean from two lenses. The candidate lens, of course, we've been talking about candidate experience and that's our end, that's our client. But from a recruitment perspective, we owe to our hiring manager, our key stakeholders internally, our internal clients, the exact same thing, like hold ourselves accountable, be really honest about what's working and what's not. You know, that's why our team where certainly not the transactional recruiters where you hand over a CV, run with it, you hand over another CV. Like we're really influencing the way to think differently about poking holes in what we're doing and how can we continue to do things better. There isn't a magic solve in recruitment, as you know. It takes a lot yeah. of time and energy and thought. If I had the magic wand to get all the awesome people in seats tomorrow, I would do it. But, you know, we really rely on our hiring managers to, we coach them through having the same level of authenticity around, you know, I say the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, maybe some of the ugly stuff can like stay a little bit protected at times. Sure. Um, but, you know, a perfect example being we've all been there where you've got good glass door reviews and you've got some tough ones. I've seen it in every organization I've ever worked in. I never like the challenging ones because it's uncomfortable and it makes mm -hmm. you not feel great. But we've had in previous life and here, you know, there's been commentary around, you know, on Glassdoor and, and when those posts come through, we make sure that as a team, we're talking about it and we're getting a lot better at that. You know, as we see a post come across that might have candidates thinking differently about us, we just kind of call it what it is and talk about the appropriate way to address it either within the phone screen and or from the hiring managers, depending on the type of role, depending on what the commentary is so that we can get ahead of it. And a perfect example that we used a, a few weeks ago is, you know, there's some commentary around workload being, you know, like there's a lot going on at Yapo workload. Yeah, we're a busy company. That's why we're mm -hmm. hiring so much. And we just really address it. A candidate asked us about it. And so we brought it to the team to say, like, what's our kind of united front as a response? We want to be, I talked cohesive earlier, like we do mm -hmm. want a brand voice and to be on the same page. And yep. like, we owe that to candidates and we owe that to ourselves as a company that we're all, yeah, a united front and have the same perspective of what we're talking about externally. And, you know, we're kind of thinking like, okay, okay. You know what? Yeah, it's busy here. It is busy. You're definitely not going to be 9 to 4.30 p.m. with a two-hour lunch. like Because we are working on stuff, we are owning projects, 
And we've grown so much. Our sales have increased tremendously. So we need more people. That's where our team comes in. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's funny. It went from this being a really negative, like uncomfortable thing to just like, let's just pretend that that we're not busy to actually, yeah, the onus around it and the way that candidates actually their feedback after we were really honest, it was even shocking for some of the hiring managers to say, oh, that was easier than I thought. You know, Mm -hmm. we were just telling them the truth and addressing it. Versus the dancing around, well, you know, one person was had a bad day. No, like call it how you see it. And that's the authenticity. I mean, and people recognize that. And, you know, that's why, you know, as I hire for my team, like that authenticity as a competency is pretty core. It's a hard thing to measure for, but we try to dig into that as we recruit for our team so that we can be those gatekeepers of keeping it real keeping it real, real. But that's it, right? And to me, the takeaway there is just, just got to own the narrative. And I think it's it's not on you to be perfect and it's not on you to pretend things aren't as they are, but it is on yeah. you to be authentic and it is on you to understand the perspective that the candidate might have coming into the conversation. Yeah. And as I said, I wouldn't have been doing my research if I would not looked at your Glassdoor reviews. And I think they're great, right? Like Overwhelmingly yeah. good, I will no, say that. But, but I mean, I mean <laughs> the bad ones, I think, are great. And what I mean oh, by yeah, that, yeah. And we talk about this a lot here, right? But like, we want our EVP here at Pinpoint to put candidates off. Like yeah. you said before, you know, your hiring managers, maybe they were taken aback by how smooth the conversation went when they addressed the critical feedback. Yeah. I think from my perspective, the conversation goes really well with the right candidates. It doesn't go so well with the wrong ones, right? And that's a very valid point. You know, someone that's going to be turned off by reading that Glassdoor review and not addressing it and or getting a bit panicked and anxious. And, you know, and again, my philosophy is when you come to the table with addressing it transparently and the whys that you see, right? Like, And then also potential solutions that are being in place, in this case, hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I will say, just spending a moment on Glassdoor is there's all sorts of extremes there. And we have the luxury where I am now of the balances predominantly genuinely good feedback. Thank you for that. Because I've worked in places where that is not the case and you're consistently combating it. You feel like you're always on the defense. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it does happen in a place that's not used to it, it becomes like a little bit more of a thing and all the more reason we wanted to take it seriously. Um, But I will say that, you know, one of the things I'm really fortunate about at Yapo is there's overwhelmingly the feedback is even if it is a comment with some critical feedback, it's I love the team. Team is great. We work around smart people. I'm like, yes, see that? We're doing yeah. something right, you know? But, but and that's, that's my important. point. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's what right. I saw. I, I spent right. yes. far too much time because I'm a sad little man reading all of your Glassdoor <laughs> reviews. And that was the whole narrative, right? It's it was yeah. team are great, love the people, founders, inspirational. Yeah. It's just too much work for me, right? And the reality is that's not a loss for anybody, right? That person should go find a role that's more suited to their requirements. And people like that person shouldn't join Yopo. But that's good for you, not bad for you, right? And I think if your EVP is not weeding out bad fit candidates, you're just creating more work for yourself. And so like, I I love to see stuff like that because candidates are doing that research, right? And if candidates go on Glassdoor pages and there's nothing but rosy reviews with no criticisms whatsoever, they're not stupid, right? Like we all have to understand and trust that candidates know what they're talking about. Certainly the good ones do. And so, no, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? I think you talked to me before about job descriptions, right? Like, give me some narrative on job descriptions in the context of transparency. Yeah, so it's actually a place that we're spending a lot of time doing work on job descriptions. I mentioned the idea of cohesion, right? Like, there's one kind of brand story, and that's, and a lot of this is just, we've grown so quickly that it's more important for us to just get the job up and posted to facilitate some traction. And we mm-hmm. have more work to be done. From my perspective, the things we're 
doing right that I'm really proud of us is we're we're working right now and we're actually in process to um, engage with a vendor on debiasing our job description. So we've kind of started slow. But, you know, when you think about transparency, it's a job description should show about the organization, about the role, like really be honest about the type of scope of work there. And that's where we really push with the hiring managers today. Is that really what they're going to be doing? You're never going to capture it all, but to really provide a scope of how they'll have impact, but also a lens of like, let's make this inclusive to a broad variety of candidates. We've actually recently started using verbiage. We've borrowed it from another organization that does this really well around, if you don't meet 100% of the qualifications outlined above, that's okay. Nobody's Mm -hmm. perfect. Perfect. Dot dot dot. We've got some more. We believe in in hiring people, not just skills. And you know, that's where kind of I get stuck in job descriptions. Sometimes, quite frankly, I think sometimes we spend far too much time curating and changing and editing. Sometimes you just got to get it up, make sure yep. the framework is appropriate and correct, and and move on. And then the evaluation and the real transparent dialogue with a candidate happens once we can get them in the door and have that conversation. So for us, we're we're doing work on the job descriptions. I think. Uh, that's probably a place we're like medium at, but the team, we have some things, marketing's done an awesome job with us helping us think through it. And again, things that are important to us, like talking about how Yapo is, believes in diversity inclusion, like how that shows up more throughout the job description as well. So that people reading this know it's important to us. And mm-hmm. we wanna know that, we want them to know that it should be important to them if they work here. So things like that. No, sure. I mean, you're right. Like people do spend a lot of time on job descriptions and there's room for that. And I think really encouraging to hear you're bringing in a third party to help you kind of de-bias and, and at least yeah. evaluate the like the perspective on DNI within your job descriptions. But yep. like the best written job description in the world is useless if the right candidate took a job an hour before it was posted, right? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think like building on that before we move to the kind of internal stakeholder piece of this transparency around recruitment, like you talked to me earlier and you said, because I was super complimentary about your candidate experience and the way things were positioned there and the differences and so on. And you said, oh, actually, we're evaluating this and we're making some fundamental changes here. Like, talk me through that. What's not worked well for you in the past and how are you making some changes to improve that? From a candidate experience? Yeah, from a career site perspective and from that kind of candidate journey perspective. What's really cool about working at Yapo right now is we have, they had built amazing fundamentals across the business, right? Like this was not a role where I came in and had to build things from scratch. It really wasn't like there were teams here before that had done a lot of that nitty gritty. We're in this awesome place, especially after a round of funding of kicking it up a notch, like maturity in what we're doing. And again, not to take away what had been accomplished before, but just elevate, like we've got the funding, we have amazing leaders and teams in place. like. Where should we be looking? How much more strategic can we operate? And so job descriptions being kind of a like a low-hanging fruit part of that, honestly, but really ramping up our structured interview processes. It's something that had been implemented before, but it allows us to hold ourselves accountable and create consistency. Our job page, our career page, I'm very excited. I was doing a lot of work this week on our marketing team will be giving it a huge refresh over the next few weeks. That becomes our source of truth for candidates. You know, right now we have a pretty traditional job page, the career page is a list of jobs, right? And it, mm-hmm. it works. It does its thing. But, you know, investing a time and energy into getting that right, it, it's a lot. And we're fortunate that we're at a place to do that. So we've been looking across the market. I won't take credit for that. The marketing team has been looking and doing quite a bit of research of who does it right? What does right look like? And so that will be a source of truth to really speak openly. And we've talked about that, how it actually represents Yapo. The people that work here show a lot of really interesting things about the work that we do 
how we work, how people have had career transitions and progression here, et cetera, which I think is really important. Again, we talked earlier, we were kind of talking about how social media has changed things and mm-hmm. hugely so that people do their research and they go onto your career site and they're expecting some media information about who you are, how you do it, why I'd want to work there. Um, so we're going to go through and kind of scrape everything from benefits. Like we don't actually list that within our career page, but it's it's really important. More important to list out healthcare and dental benefits here in the U.S. than it is in Israel yep. for various yep. reasons. But So that's where we have to completely be like very personalized. Uh, but there's a lot that we're looking at kind of, again, from the process perspective as well. So that's sort of some of like the external low-hanging fruit. Structured interview process. We're going through a round of interview training with our hiring teams. You know, we have a lot of new to YAPO leaders or new in maybe in a, in a leadership role, new to hiring mm-hmm. or both. And so we're doing a lot around that to make sure that our teams feel they have the fundamentals, they're confident in their skill set of interviewing and you're not just being transparent, being able to talk to a candidate and their role as a brand ambassador, but that we are evaluating candidates equitably and taking the right things into consideration as we make decisions and holding ourselves accountable to using a framework of rubrics of that evaluation so that, yeah, that, that we remove bias from the process as well. So there's a ton of work being done around each of those segments. So building on that a little bit, right? So we've talked about the importance of the candidate side and being transparent with the candidate and kind of front-loading every piece of that puzzle. But I think, and you've just alluded to it a little bit here, right? But expand for me on the internal piece, right? Like, how are you engaging your team? How are you being transparent with them? How are you running the recruitment process as it stands today? Yeah. So I go back to who we're hiring onto the team as recruiters. Talent acquisition partner in our world as Yapo is, again, not that traditional kind of hand over CV and be done with it and we're moving Mm -hmm. on. It's a really influential business partner that can push and pull. And when I say that, I mean, our teams like to be challenged. I I love that about Yapo. We're not afraid to speak openly. We can say to each other, give ideas and suggestions. And our team is our massive influencers in that to think differently about everything. We're using data more and more. It's something that as we kind of have really turned on our applicant tracking system and by the numbers to say, hey, we try new things to engage with teams. And then we're pretty honest. We do debriefs and we do kickoff meetings, quite traditional, but that's where we're talking about, hey, this is working. This isn't. Candidate shared X feedback with us. If a candidate does accept the offer, we're talking about the whys behind that. If a candidate does not accept an offer, which we have a pretty high acceptance rate, I think we're hovering at like um, 89 percent globally right now. I agree with you 100%. You're probably doing something wrong because you're not with the most competitive candidates if you're always getting it right. But um, we're talking about that. So what didn't work? We also get candidate surveys that we've implemented by site over the last few weeks. And, you know, again, we, we have majority good feedback, which makes us feel good. However, when we have that critical feedback come through, we talk about it, we share it with the teams and, you know, we don't sweep it under the rug and just hope it doesn't happen again. So those are some of the things. And we're also just sharing around best practices too, as we're saying, hey, this candidate talked about X piece of the process at this other company being really interesting. I believe very strongly the talent acquisition team is 
gatekeepers for talent and brand ambassadors and employer branders, but we're also those market researchers. We hear, as you know, you hear a lot of things coming in from mm-hmm. across the market. And most of the candidates we're speaking with, especially these days, have four or five other processes in play and they're giving us insights and we're learning from that. And, you know, they're telling us what they like and don't like about other processes. And our teams are incredibly open to thinking differently about, you know, what does and doesn't work. And as we ramp up, there's things that we need to just, we know we need to do differently to move more quickly. So we're fortunate that we have team members. We have highly influential recruiters incredibly receptive and collaborative hiring teams and stakeholders that are like, yeah, let's try something different. Let's measure it. If it doesn't work, moving on, you know, we'll do something else. But I think, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, we've talked at this kind of macro level about recruiting being sales, right? And I think a lot of the things you just said to me sort of ring true with my experience actually in the world of sales before recruitment, right? And I think like you're talking about people being in market for multiple solutions, right? Like your customers are your potential candidates and they're evaluating you as a provider of employment as well as a bunch of other vendors offering similar services and you're getting quality feedback from them and you're using that to iterate on your process and improve the way that you're selling the organization and the rolling question to the candidate, right? And I think we've even spoken to orgs that have like battle cards where they know that they compete for the same talent with four or five similar organizations and they come up against them again and again and again. And they'll build little battle cards for their recruiters to say, hey, like, here's the message when the candidate says they're also evaluating an opportunity with company A. Here's why we're better. And that's not our marketing spin on it. Here's how we've been told from people who've moved to us from that organization that we offer a better experience. And here's where also they might be better for you, right? And being able to be armed with the information to have a meaningful conversation there. I think it's just like sales. If you want to do sales well, you've got to know the market. And I think the same is true here, right? Mm -hmm. I think the last question I've got for you on the the people side, and I think it, it, it kind of sums up a lot of what you've been talking about, right? Like a lot of this is change. It's a shift in perspective. It's a change in expectation. It's accelerating the pace of recruitment. When you're working with your kind of broader stakeholders, right? So not your talent acquisition team or even your people team in general, but your senior leadership or on the other side of the coin, maybe your hiring manager. How are you taking them on this journey? How are you helping them understand that this is a sell side exercise and not a buy side exercise? And you've kind of peppered us with ideas around like structured interviewing and training on bias and things like that. Like, how are you making sure that every part of the puzzle is sort of doing what it needs to be doing? Yeah. But bringing it back to my team, I mean, it's our team and the type of TA partners that we have being highly influential and really hands-on with the process. You know, we recognize that we take for granted. This is this comes second nature to us. And yes, we're always learning, but, you know, our hiring managers, our stakeholders, they're running their part of the business and they're having to do all this other people stuff that is not part of their expertise. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, some have most of our hiring teams are incredibly passionate about it and receptive. So we have a really hands on partnership with the teams. And, you know, depending at what level of hiring skill set we know that they have, either within Yapo or somewhere else, kind of different touch points along the way. But we're actually doing a lot of work right now around our hiring process and SLAs associated with, you know, what that looks like and where we flex different muscles, where we support, where we don't. You know, right now we're in a place, quite frankly, where we're super busy and we're coaching our teams through how to source on LinkedIn and how to reach out to people on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And listen, everyone's up for that challenge, right? Our common goal here is 
get amazing talent to join Yapo. So there's a variety of touch points. And, you know, from a simplistic, like we have each of the team leaders meets with their hiring managers throughout the week, consistently throughout the week. And again, have very open, honest dialogues, look at the numbers, go through the pipeline and talk about the feedback that's been received. But depending on the hiring manager and their background, there's a, a different level at which we're actually involved, whether it's sitting in on a phone screen together and kind of being able to mirror those best practices and hear it from someone. We've actually been thinking about utilizing, you know, leveraging video software there where we can, you know, put together some recordings, kind of like our sales team uses Gong and, mm-hmm. and is, we're able to tap into that. We're not there yet, but also we're thinking about scale, right? We can't always be super hands-on with each of our hiring managers. You all have different experiences, different personalities, different ways they want to partner with us based on whatever. So that's not a, I know that's not super tangible ideas to implement. But for us, it's, again, like it's not a perfect solve. It's staying really close and having very consistent conversations because every search is different also. You know, never mind every hiring manager is different. Every search requires a different type of sourcing and partnership and what's working, what's not. And do we, are we calibrating? Do we know what right looks like? We're hiring a lot of new roles these days, which is super exciting, but we have nothing to benchmark against internally. Mm-hmm. So how do we know what success looks like? And our team is really influential there, kind of bringing in, again, market knowledge and talking to candidates and helping coach through. And yeah, I think it's time and energy spent with our hiring managers. But that's the takeaway from me, right? Like you're being unfair on yourself and you're saying maybe there's no clear takeaway there. I think the clear takeaway is you're being intentional about it, right? You're not leaving these people to fend for themselves and you're not going, hey, this is recruitment, turn up for this interview now and get on with it, please. Like you're bringing intentionality into everything you're doing and you're including the whole business in that, right? And I think you're taking those people on a journey the same way you're taking the candidates on a journey and what you're seeing on the other side is consistency and quality as a result. So I think like you might not have a talk and you talk about Gong, we actually use Gong for sales, but also for recording our recruitment conversations so we can learn these lessons and pick out great pieces of advice that people are sharing or great like objection handles and things like that from a recruitment conversation perspective. But like, it's not about specific tools. I think what I wanted people to hear of what you said perfectly was you're intentional about it, right? You own the narrative, you own the conversation. And this is like something that you're living and breathing every day rather than it just being an afterthought. I think the one thing I keep hearing from you and the one thing that's blatantly obvious is that like Yopo's at this super exciting juncture and you've got 300 roles to fill. And I'm conscious that we've taken up a lot of your time already. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to wrap up. And I just wanted to say thank you so much, right? This has been amazing. I think there's loads of content and best practice advice out there. But hearing perspectives and learning lessons from people like you are actually implementing these things, especially at the scale at which you're doing it at Yopo, is invaluable. So thank you so much for giving us your time. I guess like shout out opportunity. Where do people go to learn more about you and your experience and also to learn more about Yopo? Yeah, so connect with me on LinkedIn. We are hiring like mad. And as you heard that this conversation, we are quite particular about who joins the organization. We want to make sure that someone can be successful and happy at Yapo. That's really important to us. Um, so if you go to yapo.com backslash jobs, you're going to find all of our site locations. Everyone is hiring, every team. So whether you're an engineer in Israel, an SDR looking for roles, a customer success manager here in New York City, everything can be found on our career site. And it is a pretty amazing time to be a part of Yapo. So I highly encourage people to reach out to us. Nice one. I think, look, thank you so much. And to everybody listening, for more great tales like this and, you know, to get more best practice guidance and lessons from people just like Danielle, please stay tuned to The Talent Revolution. We've got great quality content just like this coming every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.